to us. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play. They get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, you guys know the drill by now. We are on to the defense as we pick up our 2022 season preview, both the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Almost had that backwards. We'll stop by the defensive line room and break down the group as a whole. We'll hear from Coach Austin Clark about coaching this group and break down the individuals from stats, film, accomplishments, projection, and a whole heck of a lot more. Plus, we are on to the AFC in our divisional preview series as we look at, on paper, perhaps the best division in football in the AFC West. From somewhere in central Washington, this is the Drive Time Podcast. So we pick it up here with a shift to the AFC in our divisional preview series. I was going to do the offense and defensive line without the preview series and then pick it back up with the linebackers. But then I thought to myself, Travis, that's not a good balance of timing and resources because linebackers have 15 players and just 10 on the defensive line. So we are going to do the AFC West preview today and the linebacker episode will be void of any divisional preview as we get to all 15 players, the coaching staff and the group as a whole with the linebackers. But today we pick it up here on the defensive line and just real quick before I jump into the defense in general because I went through my written aspects of these uh, breakdowns and putting together the additions alongside the departures for each position group there is not a lot of change on defense and a lot of the departures you're going to see and hear from on these next few podcasts are largely guys who were brought in late in the year to kind of support the roster with where they are considering injuries uh, guys that kind of helped out late in the year, getting on the practice squad, giving the offensive defense more looks, things of that nature, like guys that didn't play a lot of reps. And if they did, it was, it was mostly special teams reps who went by the wayside this off season. So taking a look at the additions and departures on the defensive line before we get to the incumbents here, a trio of UDFAs incoming Ben still from Nebraska, Jordan Williams from Virginia tech and Owen Carney from Illinois and the departure the lone departure up front was Andrew Billings, who went to the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, the coaching staff, continuity here as well. Austin Clark is back for his third season with the Miami Dolphins, his second in his current role as the defensive line coach. And last year, he oversaw a group that finished fifth in the NFL in sacks and led the league in passes batted at the line of scrimmage, which is a big point of emphasis for him, big point of contention, talking about that all the time in those bi-weekly pressers with the assistant coaches. And the Dolphins also produced pressure on opposing quarterbacks at the third highest rate in the NFL last year, 28.5% behind only Buffalo, and then one-tenth of a percentage point behind the Buccaneers, uh, two very good front sevens there. And that kind of incorporates the linebackers at a large rate too, but also Austin Clark has a good hand in that aspect of the front seven of the defense because he was a linebackers coach and has so many guys on this defense that play you know multifaceted roles uh, up front for them he can also hang his hat on the production of the front seven talking about linebackers and defensive line but you go to any dolphins practice because the production's there to, to speak for itself right but you go to a practice and you guys come to training camp which we have dates now available for you to come out to training camp uh, up on miamidolphins.com 
that's where you can really see, I think, his best trait. The ability of him to get the linemen to hustle and play with their hair on fire on a down-by-down basis. And you look at the, the personnel group here, I mean, they, they have so many guys that you don't have to worry about staying fresh also helps benefit that particular aspect of the position. And you ask any player their main focus up front, they're going to tell you, run to the football and play with maximum effort. And I think back to Alandon Roberts on the Fish Tank podcast, I think it was their last episode they did, where he discussed, you know, Christian Wilkins and talking about, I think they asked him who was the most physical player on defense. And he said, besides yourself, and he said, well, Javon Holland, but I don't want to take anything away from our linebacker crew, our defensive front and talking about how to lead different guys. And he talked about Christian Wilkins being one of the guys up front that he would put on that list as a guy that, as far as the physical aspect of the game, but he talked about how Christian will run your, your behind uh, down 25 yards down the field and still put it on you down there. And that's one of my favorite parts about watching this defensive line. I tell Christian this all the time when I see him, man, I love watching your tape. The way you retrace screens is it gets me out of my seat just from an effort perspective because you can appreciate that more than anything else, right? Like there's nothing else you can control in your game more than the effort you give. And this defensive line does that day in and day out. And Austin Clark is a big part of that. As far as this group at a glance, we talked about it already, right? Versatility, a selfless mindset, the willingness and desire to play with a, a relentless desire up front are all staples under this coach, under this position group. And we've heard him, you know, talking about how much I talked to Coach Clark, and he's always one of my first stops at the media availabilities because we have a good report. And I really appreciate the, de- the depth that he gives me. One of the things he always says is, I've never coached a more selfless group of guys. It's a joy to come to work with these guys every day, some type of variation of that frequently. And it shows up on Sundays because you drill it and practice every single day. And you go back to last season, multiple times, any given game, you'll see pressures, sacks, and hurry-induced takeaways as a byproduct of the Dolphins' front executing hustle, but also executing a different type of game where you have two or three guys who are simply taking on the dirty work role that really doesn't have much of an opportunity. There always is, in certain circumstances, increase that opportunity. But there's not always an opportunity for those guys within that particular play call to make a play. Like it's it's their job to free other guys up and they all just do it so willingly. And I wanted to play this clip for you of Coach Clark talking a little bit about that, but also the continuity and how that can kind of help get this defensive line playing quickly out of the gates, uh, quickly, I should say, and play sound the entire year up front as they've been the last couple of years. But now in 2022, so much continuity with this group coming back together. Let's go ahead and hear from Dolphins defensive line coach Clark, who touches on a couple of things you'll hear on this podcast. Number one, the continuity of this group, of this room, because you didn't hear really any significant departures from that room. A lot of guys coming back, but also how do you take a bigger step and keep going? Because one thing, one other thing you're going to hear in this podcast is how successful this group has been with the sacks, the pressure numbers, points allowed, all the stuff that has contributed to really good defense here in Miami the last couple of years. How does coach Clark get this really similar defensive line with continuity and the benefit of that continuity playing at an even higher level. Here's Coach Clark. Yeah, I think uh, for our guys, having the continuity um, is definitely good in terms of relationships in the room and expectation, the expectation and where we want to be and where we want to go is set. Um, So that part's good. And, um, you know, just really challenging all the guys to take that next step, every one of them. And every one of them is different. You know, what Wilkins our standard for him and where we want him to go and, and continue to make another leap and Agba and, and all those guys getting getting guys back, especially like a guy like Agba back and uh, building off of their 
personal successes and where we want them to go technically is going to be huge to, to do our part up front and help the team win. So there's Coach Clark talking about continuity and trying to do their part to help this team win. And I think that retaining the majority of this group has to be a pretty exciting thought for Dolphins fans because this is a deep a unit that is deep. It works well together and now has the benefit of some continuity with, for the most part, the entirety of that group returning. Let's go ahead and meet this cast here in order of jersey number. It starts with number 70, and we covered the incum- or I should say the arrivals and departures. Most of this group is incumbents. It starts with number 70, Adam Butler. And in a game full of variables and unpredictability, like I listened to the bootleg football podcast, Brett Coleman, EJ Snyder do a fantastic job of breaking down every team, every roster uh, in the NFL this time of year, which is what we're doing as well uh, for the most part. But they talked a little bit about the Jaguars, the first team they covered and how they went from Andrew Norwell to Brandon Scherf. And Scherf has had more production in his career, but Andrew Norwell has been so reliable and predictable. And how much is that trade-off worth when you consider 12 games of, of very productive or 17 games of very solid, very good? And how do you relate those two things? And reliability is, in a, is a trait that can vault your overall value. And the reason I'm talking about that is because Adam Butler has been a, a picture of consistency since the moment he came into the NFL back in 2017 with the New England Patriots. He's missed only one game in his career. He's got 17 sacks, 22 tackles for loss, and 27 quarterback hits, but he uses an explosive, ultra-explosive first step And if you go back to training camp last year, like every report had, man, Adam Butler, number 70, comes off the ball first more than anybody else on the team. And he's in the backfield with those quick penetrations as much as anybody else. And it puts the opposing offensive lineman in an immediate bind. Like, I have to chase this guy or do I try to maybe have the running back come pick him up and and his scan and search and the inside gap first? Or do I, you know, stick with him and potentially open up another gap for Jerome Baker or Sam Egwavon or Duke Riley or you get it. It could be anybody. Uh, and Adam Butler's skill does more than provide that consistent penetration of his own, 28, his rookie season, 26, 26, 27, 24 pressures. Those are his five years worth of pressure numbers. Never goes below 24. He just creates these opportunities for his teammate because of that get-off and the ability to slant off either side of the nose te- the nose tackle position, the zero technique, one technique, three technique. He can line up in that two technique, head up over the guard. It doesn't really matter where he is. It widens gaps and frees up lanes for those mugged-up linebackers, for delayed blitzes, or fellow D linemen looping around like a Christian Wilkins, like a Zach Sealer, like an Emmanuel Ogba, off of those quote-unquote picks or screens that Butler is setting. So he is... Very valuable, not just for the production and consistency, but what he does for the defense as a whole with the blitz packages, the 5-0 packages, all that stuff. His speed, his explosiveness, his get-off is a very valuable thing to have in the middle of your defense. Number 77, John Jenkins, back for his third year with the Miami Dolphins. And his production in a rotational role, really, over a nine-year career, is the definition of quality depth. He's a veteran presence with a penchant for the finer points of the game, like his technique, his fundamentals, his pad level, knowledge for how to take advantage of schemes and situations, not just to help him get his job done and know I can take a chance right here and kind of gamble, but help the entire defensive line room for those same purposes. Only twice in his nine-year career did Jenkins' PFF grade dip below 63.4. Since his 2019 arrival in Miami, and there was one year, a one-year detour there to Chicago in 2020, His lowest PFF grade was 70.7. And if you've heard the podcast enough, you know the way they grade. 70 is like an above average starter. So he's 
checking in with his lowest grade at that mark in this rotational role. And over that time period, 908 total snaps for Jenkins with 406 run stops. Those are tackles made within two yards of the line of scrimmage on 517 rundown reps. So value, depth, and veteran experience there is a great Great position to have there deep into your D-line room. Number 90, Ben Still, playing up and down the Cornhuskers defensive line the last couple of years. Still gets into the NFL after totaling 14 and a half sacks over five years at Nebraska with 29 and a half tackles for loss. He's six foot five, 295 pound frame, kind of play inside outside. And that quick first step really helped him generate and exploit mismatches at the college level. Similar idea to what we're talking about there with Adam Butler in terms of size, explosiveness, all that fun stuff for Ben Still. Number 91, Emmanuel Ogba. We all know about him. He has aged like a fine, fine wine since his arrival here in South Florida two years ago. Any way you splice his numbers, his tape, his overall impact, He's been a terror for opposing offenses and really the team's most reliable edge rusher over those two years. 18 sacks in two years, nine each year. That has Ogba tied for 10th in the NFL over the last two years, a top 10 pass rusher and sack production. You want to go beyond sack production, which to me is more important. His ranks are even better when getting quarterback pressures. 127 of those since 2020. That's seventh best in the NFL among his position mates. He does it nearly so I should clarify, the sacks are 10th overall defensive tackle, defensive end, outside linebacker, whatever it might be. But in terms of the QB pressures, just the edge position, how PFF scores it, number seven in the NFL. But he does it from nearly every position on the D-line too. Like he can condense and rush over guards. He can condense and slant and set picks. He can win with speed outside. His bull rush, his speed to power, the cross chop, getting that inside hand to wipe out the outside hand and then kind of dip that inside shoulder. His swipe move, getting guys' hands off of him with his very, very heavy hands. It, it all counteracts one another to give you a top 10 edge rusher. And it, it, it just the heavy hands and the tremendous power with that fluid crossover step and lateral agility, all of this comes together for a nice, nice stew, throwing all the, the uh, ingredients into the recipe there, into the pot, and gives you an awesome stew with Emmanuel Ogba. And he's more than just a pass rusher. There's a reason why he's played so many dank snaps over the last couple of years. He's dependable against the run as well. 1,548 defensive snaps the last two years was most among any Dolphins defensive lineman. His 56 run stops are 20th last year among edge defenders uh, in PFF's classification. He also led all D linemen last year in the NFL with 12 passes defensed at the line of scrimmage. And his four forced fumbles are tied for the team lead with Andrew Van Ginkle since 2020. Emmanuel Ogba, big contract extension, a big get back for the Miami Dolphins. Speaking of another dang good player, number 92, Zach Sealer. Pound for pound, snap for snap. I think it's it might be difficult to find a more productive player these last two years on the Dolphins roster than Zach Sealer. And he might be one of the most underrated players in the NFL as well. He's got sheer strength and power. It's so frequently on display, whether it's his assignment to stack up a double team, to win a one-on-one pass rush situation, or to penetrate and shut down a short yardage run, to stack, come off a block and make a play. He can play on the nose all the way out to the edge, and he's productive in all facets of the game. He's piled up 70 run stops on 484 rundown snaps the last two seasons. That gives him a run stop of percentage of 14.6%. That's the best in the NFL among all interior defensive linemen, defensive tackles is the official position designation. His 48 QB pressures on 552 pass rush snaps give him a pass rush efficiency mark of 8.6%. That was 18th among PFF's interior D lineman distinction since 2020. He is, he's as good as they get. 
Up next, another one of the UDFAs we talked about, number 93, Owen Carney, part of a Illinois Fighting Illini defense that has really come on the last couple of years and improving after having a lot of high point totals and rough seasons in the Big Ten there, but his addition to that defense and emergence really helped that defense and that team get a lot better. Had a huge final season with 37 pressures on 335 pass rush reps at Illinois. He's six foot two, 275 pounds. Versatility, can play inside, outside. Big wingspan, over 80 inches. Another one of these kind of high upside in terms of build athletic ability UDFAs in this Dolphins class. We mentioned Zach Sealer previously and how he's as good as it gets. This next guy, number 94, Christian Wilkins, same thing applies there. And I really have to make my best efforts to not take this one too long because you could, well, copy and paste Sealer's rundown and pass rush efficiency would be suffice enough for Wilkins' blurb here. But man, I love this player so much. The biggest difference has been snap counts for him and and Sealer in the last couple of years. Both players produce at similar rates as far as efficiency is concerned. But Wilkins like almost never leaves the field because with Sealer's 14.6 run stop rate was nearly two percentage points higher. Wilkins did have more total run stops, finishing sixth among interior defensive linemen with 43 run stops. Sealer had 40 or 39, so it's not like he's that far off. But that number gave Wilkins a 12.5% run stop rate. That was seventh right behind Sealer among his positional uh, contemporaries there. Wilkins also finished second ESPN's run stop win win rate metric. Say that five times fast. A stat that determines the winner of each individual matchup on a given play. It accounts for the plays where the run goes away from you and you don't have a chance to really make an impact. So just a more down-by-down basis. He earned that ranking with 45% win stop run run win rate last year. which also produced 89 total tackles. That was the most by any defensive lineman in the National Football League since 2013. You watch the guys and Coach Clark get them through that. They stack up the dummy, they take a peek, and they shut off that thing. They work on that so much, and it shows up in game day tape all the damn time. He had 32 quarterback pressures. That was tied for 30th last year among PFF's interior defensive linemen, and his 13 quarterback hits finished 16th. Since 2019, only linebacker Jerome Baker and safety Eric Rowe have played more defensive snaps for Miami than Wilkins' 2,101, proof of his ability to play in any scheme, any position, to two-gap, to one-gap, to take on double teams, stretch out that run pursuit on outside runs, control his man at the point in power schemes, set picks, execute games, selfless mindset, leadership, infectious attitude. How much farther do we have to go? I think that's pretty good. Christian Wilkins, number 94. Number 95, Benito Jones, 6'1", 330-pound squatty body. It's hard to win the low man battle facing this guy because he uses that powerful base, low pad level to help him stack things up in the middle of this Miami defense. He's only played 47 snaps as a pro, but his old Miss tape was full of explosive pass rush reps, and he had 29 pressures on 314 pass rush snaps his final season there. Uh, with the running Rebels. He also had a very strong minicamp OTAs. He was in the notes almost every single day. Number 97, Jordan Williams, after a three-year run at Clemson with 55 total tackles, nine and a half for loss and four sacks, he had a breakout season after transferring to Virginia Tech. Pro Football Focus had him with 25 quarterback pressures and 21 run stops a year ago. That was my phone falling on the ground. Number 98, Raekwon Davis. Few players are more imposing getting off the bus than Raekwon Davis. One of the largest, longest players in the NFL. His wingspan and sheer power just, it really helps him control the point at the line, take on double teams, all the stuff you're asked to do in the teeth of the defense. With Davis in the lineup last year, Dolphins allowed 35.3 fewer rushing yards per game than when he was available. A lot of Davis's work doesn't show up on the stat sheet 
talking about absorbing double teams, creating chances for his teammates. He did have 15 run stops on 217 rundown reps, but like I said, eating up blocks, he can play an entire game and not have a stat and still have a very good game. So that's your defensive line preview. Let's go ahead and take our first break here and get into the AFC West Chiefs, Raiders, Chargers, and Broncos. That's next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Back here on this Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, the defensive line preview is in the books. Let's go ahead and pick this up, turning back to the NFL in general and the AFC West and our 2022 NFL preview, kicking it off with last year's division champion, the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think there's a lot of secret here about who they are, where they're going, where they've been. They picked number one back in 2013 after a two-win 2012 season. Then they get Andy Reid and things change because they have been arguably the most successful franchise over that period of time. If they get one more ring out of it, they might be the most successful since Andy Reid arrived there. And if they get just one more ring out of that, I think they probably are with only one other organization having more than one ring in that period. The Patriots with three, excuse me, 2014, 2016, yeah, 2018 Patriots with three. Nobody else has two. So, all right, Chiefs number two since Andy Reid's arrival. Pretty, pretty fair to say that, I think, uh, since he got there. But the one seeds, the first round buys, you know, currently on a four year conference championship game appearance streak. Two and two in those games, one and one in Super Bowls. And if they, I mean, I hate to play the if, ands, and buts, but if they have some of their guys back on that offensive line against the Bucks, maybe that's a different game and they do have two championships out of it. Who knows? But they are a contender every year with that coach and that quarterback. They drafted pillars on offense a long time ago that made them this way. One of those guys is now gone, but it started with Pat Mahomes, or it didn't start with, I should say, but quarterback-wise, starts with Pat Mahomes at 2017. And honestly, the most unique situation of a first-round draft pick at the position the last decade, I would say, because one, of his play style and how he's starting to kind of revolutionize the position, or at least in terms of that process, starting with the wild arm angles, these shortstops playing quarterback, but also sitting out that full first year. I mean, he played the, the Week 17 game when they had everything wrapped up and played well, but then he gets to that second season, MVP, second year, Super Bowl MVP, four years of like Dan Marino-type immediate success production coming in right into the game. Pretty rare that way. And also that first year sitting is very rare. Then the two toughest matchups in football, in my opinion, at their respective positions make up what also made up that elite level Chiefs offense with Tyreek Hill, who was a fifth round pick in 2016, and Travis Kelsey, who was a third round pick in 2013. What a run for that duo and later trio. Now it's been at least 33% of that has been taken away. We'll see how that impacts this team, but they have just drafted well, utilized their resources in general very well. That's how you win double digit games, eight out of nine seasons. And the only year without was a nine and seven 2014 season, but playoffs every other year, nine playoff wins over those nine years, eight coming in the last four. Care to guess who took over a quarterback four years ago? They've won at least 12 games each of those four years, 12, 12, 14, and 12. So just under 13 wins per year for them. But back to the draft and resource usage, like 
on that defensive line, they used a late one to trade for Frank Clark and how dominant he is, and he pairs with their second round pick from 2016 and an even more dominant player in Chris Jones. They paired previously Tyron Matthew, who's now gone, with second round draft pick Juan Thornhill. There's just balance like that up and down the roster, and there's a reason to think they, there's no reason I should say to think they can't keep picking up double digit win seasons and deep playoff runs. So I do think this is the steepest test they'll face when you factor in the loss of Tyreek Hill and just how tough, how tough this AFC West is. Let's go ahead and see what they did this offseason. New players, two receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They got a running back, Ronald Jones from Tampa, Justin Reed and Dion Bush, a pair of good-looking safeties, and a cornerback, Lonnie Johnson from the Houston Texans, former, former second-round pick. Gone are receiver Tyreek Hill, linebacker Melvin Ingram, both of them down here with us now. Defensive tackle Jerron Reed, a very good player. Cornerback Mike Hughes, cornerback Traverius Ward, a couple of good players there. Linebacker Anthony Hitchens, safety Tyron Matthew, another really good player. Receiver Byron Pringle, defensive end Alex Okafor, receiver Demarcus Robinson, offensive lineman Austin Blythe. So they've had to, you know, kind of pick their spots in terms of who's, who's staying, who's going. Got to pay your quarterback that big contract when he gets to that point too. So you're seeing some of the effects of being very successful year in and year out in the offseason. Speaking of that, in the draft, two very nice picks in the first round for my money. Cornerback Trent McDuffie out of UW, defensive end George Karloftis out of Purdue. They come back in the second round with two more picks in Sky Moore from Western Western Michigan and safety Brian Cook out of Cincinnati and in the third round linebacker Chanel, uh, Leo Chanel from Wisconsin. Storylines for this team, uh, you know them by now. Life after Tyreek. We've done a lot of coverage of whether it's Kurt Warner's breakdown of Tyreek Hill, my own breakdowns of Tyreek Hill, getting Jeff Darlington on the Spaces show, talking about Tyreek Hill and just the impact that that speed and his overall skills as a receiver, how it opens things up. I mean, we know about the stars the Chiefs still have, but I'm curious to see what it looks like without him. They've had him for six years in a row now, and he's been damn good all of those years. So how can they adjust to life without Tyreek Hill? The loaded division factor. This is for every team. I mean, it's going to make every club in this division storyline, but... The Chiefs have ruled this division for so long, so I think it belongs here, and how teams have kind of built to try to keep up with them, right? Like the Broncos said, we got to go get a quarterback because we can't beat this dang team, and they keep beating us by, you know, 17, 21, 28 points. We got to get some offensive firepower to keep up with them. The Raiders going to get Devontae Adams, the, the Chargers going crazy on defense with Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson. Like the moves you're seeing these teams make have to have something to do with the fact that we have to find a way to stop Kansas City from winning 12 and 14 games every freaking year. Also, mentioned this about some other teams earlier, and again, a good problem you run into when you compete year in and year out. They'll need some production from rookies. Like, they need McDuffie to step up and replace Ward. They need Sky Moore to get on the field with all those receivers they lost. They need George Karloftis to provide some early disruption and help get Frank Clark and Chris Jones that third rushing threat that can be so valuable for a team. And then finally, the last one here for KC. The defense really put it together down the stretch last year, but then had some problems in the playoffs with depth. It was tough to come by stops in that Buffalo game for sure. Cincinnati in that second half. They lost a lot this offseason. Can they get back to that, or will the offense go back to kind of having to carry things there? Very interesting Chiefs team this year. Speaking of interesting, it does not get any less interesting with the rest of the teams in this division. Let's go ahead and move to Las Vegas, and the Raiders finished second last year, qualified for the playoffs. I don't think anybody could have forecasted the Raiders being where they are right now in this position around midseason last year when they had a coaching change, a sign of the resilience of this team who didn't just manage to stay above water amidst the change. They made the friggin' playoffs and were throwing into the end zone in the waning moments of a game 
against eventual AFC champion Cincinnati on the road, on a short week, no less, a Saturday playoff game for the Raiders after a Sunday night week, week 18 game, and they dang near put it into overtime. Now, they bring in one of the best offensive minds with Josh McDaniels. They add a top one, two, or three receiver in the game, depending on who your, your flavor is. They add a ton of firepower on defense and pair it with an absolute stud of a DC and Patrick Graham. Gosh, this division's tough, man. And honestly, how they got here, I think, has a ton to do with who I think has been the most improved player in terms of like where he was a half decade ago up until now. And that's Derek Carr, man. He is so good. He knows where the pressure points are, where his protection is vulnerable, where the vulnerabilities are on the defense. He's accurate as hell. He's sharp to get it out hot. And over the last year or so, he's really begun to nail the deep ball, which is oftentimes more a factor of your cast and the play calling and the situations. But I digress. But back in 2016, he was an MVP discussion candidate, and I thought the numbers that year were better than the tape when I went back and ran, when I ran thirdand10.com and went through every single snap, every single throw of every team. It just looked like there was more about attention being paid elsewhere than to what was actually happening there. But since that time, he's gradually gotten better and better. Like, man, he was so tough in that week three game against the Dolphins last year when we would just see pressure after pressure, and he just found solution after solution. So I think the biggest part of how they got here, it doesn't hurt to sprinkle in an all-pro tight end, a really nice complement of running back, one of the game's top slot receivers, and an offensive line that has been remade without losing a ton of its luster. And the reason I mention this is the drafting the last few years doesn't match up with the team that's ready to go on the field in September and compete. Like, usually you think great drafts equals great roster. Not quite so much with the Raiders. They got a different way to get there. That's one of the themes of this series, right? Different ways to arrive uh, at contention. And that's why you just never grade a draft on, like, only the first and second round, right? Because you can get your Max Crosby's, your Hunter Renfro's, using picks or players to get guys like Chandler Jones or Rocky Sin. There's more than one way to skin a cat. And so they buck a four-year playoff drought last year with... A 10-win season. Prior to that, it was 8, 7, 4, and 6 wins with 12 victories back in 2016. And then before that was a very difficult stretch for the Raiders. But next on their goals, I'm sure, is to end the playoff win drought, which goes back to their 2002 Super Bowl championship team uh, with their Oakland Raiders that year. Can they get there? Let's go ahead and see what they did in the offseason to see if they can. Receiver Devontae Adams, a big addition for them. Chandler Jones, another pretty much staple in the all-pro voting. Cornerback Rocky Sin. A couple more receivers, Matt Collins, we know about him, and Keelan Cole. Quarterbacks Jarrett Stidham and Nick Mullins. Cornerback Anthony Averett. Defensive tackle Vernon Butler and safety Deron Harmon. And tight end Jacob Hollister. Those three moves are very under the radar. Linebacker Kenny Young as well. Gone is quarterback Marcus Mariota. Defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson. Cornerbacks Casey Hayward and Brandon Faison. Defensive end Carl Nassib. Linebackers Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski. Receiver Brian Edwards. Uh... Yannick Ngakwe was part of that Rocky Sin trade, and then fullback Alec Ingold, also here in Miami. In the draft, they spent, there goes the phone again, they spent a couple of early picks on receiver Devontae Adams. Uh, in the third round, they make their first choice with guard Dylan Parham from Memphis. In the fourth round, they get running back Samir White from Georgia and defensive tackle Neil Farrell Jr. out of LSU. Some storylines for this club. David Carr, whoops, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams reunited. So many teams have done this, and it's worked out pretty well. I think it'll work out here, too. 
Carr, another step for him. Quarterbacks tend to get better as they get close to that age 30 season because it's hard to fool a wily vet, right? And he recently evolved from one of the game's most controlled possession types of passers to this elite vertical threat. How does Adams change that? I know it makes him better, but how exactly? McDaniel's the second go around, implementing his offense here for the first time without, you know, he had Mac Jones last year, but and the year before, but the first time without the Patriots and a couple of years removed from Tom Brady and the influence of all the Patriots additions they made. We just talked about some of the guys, a lot of former Patriots on that list. And then just the aggressiveness with getting Adams. But look at the moves on defense too. I love that combo of getting Jones, then trading their previous best pass rusher and Gakwe for cornerback help. Get better at two spots there. The Raiders did that. All right, last break here. We're going long already. We'll come back on the other side and preview the Chargers and Broncos in the 2022 AFC West. That's next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Back here previewing the AFC West in the 2022 NFL season here, and we land on the Los Angeles Chargers, who happen to be the one team from this division that will play the Miami Dolphins on week 14 in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium, a 4.05 Eastern kickoff at the LA Chargers. And we'll get into the storylines here or into this particular topic with the Chargers in their storyline section. But they are in this rare position where they've not made the playoffs the last couple of seasons. Playoffs, said that like Jim Mora, but are like this popular darling pick, not just to get in this year, but to make a deep run. And I think that projection is valid, but also threefold. Number one, the head coach. I love the aggressive mindset. He has the defensive background, but trust his offense and the play to play the models. Like if we're 55% to win the game with the first to go for it here, we're going to do that. It bit them a few times last year and it seemed like it always happened in prime time, which of course is then met with more pushback from national media narratives while ignoring the fact that they did that all year and it just flat out won them games. It happened at one o'clock on a Sunday, but it still did. It still happened. Number two, drafting very well. Always a big part of it, right? First round picks the last two years, tough to get it more right than Herbert and Slater. You guys know how I feel about Zion Johnson this year. I think they nailed that pick again. Isaiah Spiller in the fourth round this year I thought was excellent. They found Josh Palmer late last year and had success with him. Mike Williams, a former first-round pick, just got an extension. So did Derwin James. Two more home run picks in 17 and 18 there in the first round. Keenan Allen, a grand slam pick in the second round back in 2013. Kenneth Murray, Asante Samuel Jr., Joey Bosa, I mean, doing this year after year allows you to go out and make moves like Khalil Mack, like J.C. Jackson. I'm going back to the Dolphins here on Dolphins podcast, why you can make a Tyreek Hill trade because you did get Waddle, Phillips, Holland, uh, Christian Wilkins, Raekwon Davis, Robert Hunt. You, you, you guys know the names by now. Brandon Jones, Tua Tungavailoa, all those guys. But again, for the Chargers here, back to the third point is killing it on the veteran market, which is the the secondary effect of that number two part. A second and a sixth round pick for Khalil Mack is awesome. Getting J.C. Jackson for just money, no draft picks, is awesome, especially for that Brandon Staley defense. I mean, Joseph Day, or Sebastian Joseph Day, I should say, Austin Johnson, Morgan Fox, Kyle Van Noy, just such a 
bolstering effect to your run defense, which really had to get better from a year ago. Bryce Callahan gives him a solid slot and helps free up Derwin James even more. Just on paper, it's hard to find the flaws here. If they can avoid those killer losses, which still seem to find a way to occur, even as, as they've seemed to kind of turn the page a little bit here over the last couple of years, it's just been the difference between eight and nine wins or possibly 11, 12, or 13 wins. But busy offseason for the Chargers. Let's go ahead and see what they did exactly. Linebacker Khalil Mack, cornerback J.C. Jackson, cornerback Bryce Callahan. Also got tight end Gerald Everett. We talked about Van Noy, Morgan Fox, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson. Also brought in center Will Clapp and linebacker Troy Reeder. Out the door, linebacker Yuchenna Nwosu, who I thought was one of the better edge rushers or, or unheralded rushers, I should say, over the last couple of years. Defensive tackle Justin Jones is a good player. Linebacker Kaiser White, guard Scott Questenberry, tight end Jared Cook, and offensive tackle Brian Balaga. In the draft this year, guard Zion Johnson from Boston College. In the third round, safety out of Baylor, JT Woods, another good player there. And then in the fourth round, talked about him too, running back Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M. The storylines here, are there championship expectations before they actually made the playoffs? It's very real. It happens all the time. And teams make those kind of runs. It happens quite often, actually. The analytics and fourth down decisions are always going to be under the microscope, and they play by that style. So it'll be a big talking point all year long for them. How does Staley's system take on the boost it gets, not just from Mac, but a corner like J.C. Jackson, who, as one of the best in the business, can change the way you do everything and then... Again, beyond him, Joseph Day, Johnson, Van Noy, Callahan, Fox. Tons of additions, not many losses there. And then finally here, just health. Like for Joey Bosa, but more importantly, Derwin James, because he's missed a lot of games the last couple of years. Can he finally stay healthy and put it all together? Because if he can, I think he might be one of the best safeties we've ever seen in terms of his talent and production and what he can do. Finishing up here with the Denver Broncos. And usually by this point, we're previewing a season projection that has a lot of folks giving said team a tough year penciled in, but for the Broncos, who finished fourth last year, they've got their eye on the division title, and why wouldn't they? They're good enough to win this ridiculous AFC West, and really since Peyton Manning, and that was the 2015 Super Bowl season, which was easily his worst as a pro, just from the tape and the production, you can look at the stats, it shows up for you right there, which was just a microcosm of who the Broncos have been the last seven or eight years, a team with a very good roster, but still kind of in search of that quarterback of the future. Well, they have him now, and they went and they got a new head coach to pair with him and a new GM, or at least relatively new, with George Patton stepping into that role a couple years back. But Nathaniel Hackett is the head coach now, and his star blossomed when he took over from quarterbacks to offensive coordinator with the Jacksonville Jaguars and got a Blake Bortles-led offense to play really well, the quarterback to play really well, and put that team into the AFC Championship game with a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, no less. He parlays that into a role on Mike LaFleur's staff with the New York, or I should say the Green Bay Packers. I always get Mike and Matt LaFleur uh, confused, brothers, obviously, and helped get Rodgers back to his MVP form twice in a row. He's a high-energy, bubbly guy. I think that pairs very, very well with Russell Wilson. Back to the roster and getting to this point, one of my favorite players for the sake of like all media teaching tape is Garrett Bowles. What I mean by that is he was not very good for the first three years of his career. Then he found it in year four, makes that or parlays that into a contract extension. Now he's one of the best left tackles in football. But beyond that, you've got Javante Williams, a great round two find last year. They've invested in the receiver room with Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler, and the discovery of Tim Patrick, who gets an extension this offseason and is a damn good player as well. If they can keep Sutton healthy, if they can get Judy and Hamler going like they were in college, that's a nice room, especially with tight end Albert O. I'm going to pronounce it O because I don't want to get the last name wrong. 
Another mid-round find there. Same as Quinn Minerts, the famous belly uh, exposure center who plays really dang good ball in the middle of that def- offense in the pivot. Dalton Reisner, before that, a really good tackle guard prospect out of Kansas State, and he was a hit uh, immediately. If they can get Bradley Chubb healthy and playing at his rookie year level, it's an absolute gem. They also got Justin Simmons, the all-pro safety a few years back. Then they hit Yahtzee in the first round last year on Pat Sertan, who might be one of the best four or five best corners in the NFL, another loaded team in a loaded division. Let's go ahead and revisit it and see what they did in the offseason. Quarterback Russell Wilson's new. So our cornerbacks, bless Austin, Isang Bassi. Guard Ben Braden, tackle Tom Compton. Defensive end Randy Gregory. How big of a get was that? Quarterback Josh Johnson, defensive tackle DJ Jones, safety J.R. Reed. They bring in tight end Eric Tomlinson, get be- or bring Billy Turner back to the offensive line. They also get Kawan Williams from San Francisco, a dang good cornerback, and edge defender Stephen Weatherly. Gone's quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, Andrew Drew Locke. Cornerbacks Bryce Callahan and Kyle Fuller are two big losses there, but they we talked about the replacements they made. Linebacker Michael Kaiser, tight end Noah Fant, and defensive tackle Shelby Harris. In the draft in the second round, linebacker Nick Bonito out of Oklahoma, a South Florida product. Number three, uh, tight end Greg Dulcich from UCLA. Storylines, the drop-in quarterback approach. Get the roster ready, drop that massive you know, draft pick, salary quarterback into the mix, and see if you can push for a title. Can Russell Wilson get back to his previous form? Because the injury last year, some ineffectiveness in general, just was different for him. And I'm curious to see the impact he has on the entire organization because he's the kind of guy that comes in and makes everybody better. If he can get back to that play and have that impact, look out, man. And then Nathaniel Hackett, the big promotion to a team with big expectations. Can he step in like his previous uh, boss in LaFleur and, and flourish right away? Curious to see how that goes. And then transition the defense from Vic Fangio's aggressive cover two to new DC, Giro Avero, his uh, first-year defensive coordinator, who was a secondary and passing game coordinator with the Rams last year after four years as the Rams' safety coach. Storylines of the division, one of the most loaded divisions in recent memory. You could argue all these quarterbacks are top 10 of the league. And so will they cannibalize themselves? Will they produce two playoff teams? Will they get three? Will they get four? Because I like that last part to parlay to this part because the random factor is that every year, we get things that happen that are just like out of a team's control in one of these divisions where you think that could be a four playoff team. Like a good example last year, the Ravens like had so many injuries and it, it just eventually crippled that team at the end of the year. But going back to the four team playoffs or four playoff teams from one division idea, something like usually happens. It's a perfect example of that is last year in the NFC West. I had four teams from that division going to the playoffs. We got three, but with the Russell Wilson injury and the Seahawks just kind of got caught behind the eight ball. It's tough to project that or how it happens. And it, it probably does this year because it always seems to. And then also the balance of teams that say goodbye and teams that bring on a top line wide receiver. This division uh, encapsulates that because in this crazy receiver market, this group was at the crux of the two biggest moves at the position with Devontae Adams coming in and Tyreek Hill going out. A good example when those two teams play about kind of how they worked around those moves. The new head coaches taking on teams with expectations, Nathaniel Hackett, Josh McDaniels, both new coaches that figure to have pretty good teams. How do they handle that? The Chargers madness is the monkey wrench to me, the X factor of this division, because for years they always seem to come up just short of the playoffs because of like three, four, five, even six crushing defeats on last second field goals, misses, penalties, or otherwise. But this might be the best roster in the NFL. A lot of folks are picking them to go from two years of no playoffs to the winners of the toughest division of football, no matter how that happens, confirmed or proven to be too ambitious, either way, 
It's very fascinating. Divisional awards here. Quarterback is Patrick Mahomes until he proves otherwise. The non-quarterback offensive player is between Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey. Both are such tough matchups. Defensively, I'm staying with the Chargers defense. Healthy Derwin James. If he doesn't stay healthy, J.C. Jackson gets that pick. Best coach is Andy Reid. The breakout player is Javante Williams, the running back of the Denver Broncos behind that. Uh, offensive line in that running scheme. And it's certain if he wasn't already a breakout last year. He probably was. Rookie of the division, Zion Johnson for the Chargers. And I'm going to go ahead and pick the Chargers as well. So that is your AFC West preview. That is your defensive line preview. The next podcast you hear from me will be the linebackers all by themselves. No divisional preview. As we pour through the summer series, we are now six parts in. Three, four more left to go as we'll get to the AFC East with a specialist on the final edition before training camp is here. And we are all the time, all training camp, all practice updates, my favorite time of the year. All right. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. Check out the YouTube channel for all the media availabilities and Dolphins today and drive time and Fish Tank interviews as well as MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.